There are literally almost no female athletes performing at 100% because female athletes are dieting in order to fit the societal views of what they should look like and what their sponsors are looking for for their cover shoots and their product endorsements and all of those things. So what would women's sports actually be like if we started changing the narrative for young girls to eat right and fuel themselves to where they need to be right can you imagine i I mean i want i wonder if women's sports people would think they'd be more interesting if if we we were actually fueling ourselves megan armstrong welcome to life six feet above six feet above was created when i started to share my story of spending 16 years wanting to be six feet under to now living a life full and happy six feet above. The more that I started to talk about my journey, my struggles and my past, the more I realized people were genuinely interested and not judgmental at all, which is what I'd feared for so long. In fact, other people wanted to talk about their story as well, and for some reason they trusted me to do so. So the Six Feet Above podcast is my way of helping to share other people's stories finding out what works for them to create a life of happiness. Before we start this episode, I want to let you know it has some explicit language and some very serious subject matter. It may be triggering or sensitive to certain people. Please listen with discretion. This is Donna's story. Welcome back. We are in episode 30 of the Six Feet Above podcast. I am sitting across from Donna Burke, who just strolled in with some nice old supplements for me to try. I'm like, this is great. I love when people come bearing gifts. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. You're and welcome. I love bringing gifts. You're so. welcome. So tell me about this company that you're working for. So um, I just launched a new supplement brand specifically formulated for women. It's called Particle. Okay. P- P-R-T-C-L. And when we started looking at concepts, I realized that there wasn't a single brand on the market specifically formulated for women in the sports nutrition field. So protein powders, pre-workouts, recovery, all of that, they were formulated for men, typically for bodybuilding men. And that just doesn't work for a woman's body. So we went through the research, we dove through the exercise science research, everything on women, which there isn't a lot of, because they only started doing it in the last five years because maybe let's 10 years. face it we're second best right a, a <laughs> which little is why bit. we're here today one of, one of the exercise scientists uh one of the female researchers she always says that they just say that women are small men with hormone problems oh so that really triggered me wow. and i was like this is how i felt my whole life like i've just been treated like a small man and an afterthought right and we need to fix this right so that led to launching a line of sports nutrition supplements for women and trying to get health at the forefront uh, yeah. for athletes and weekend warriors and every woman fitness who wants to be fitness instructors yeah. people who just want to be a hundred percent healthy yeah I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. I'm so excited to try it. Um, so Donna and I met almost two years ago. I remember this. Um, I was technically let go from a job that I was at to for, I was there for about four and a half years. I helped build this company and create a workout. And, um, you found me on Instagram, I think, or we started following each other and you reached out and you're like, I have a space. If you are interested in doing something here, please like come check it out. And, It was exactly what I needed 
at the right moment from a complete stranger to like keep going. Do you believe in God winks? Like, okay, so a God wink, if she just looked at me like, mm, sorry, I don't I'm know, like, but I might. I might. <laughs> so a God wink is when like something happens in your life and it's what you kind of need at that moment where God is like winking at you like, I got you, boo. Oh, those ha- that has right? happened to me so many times over my career where there's always just something that reminds you yeah. or yeah, gives you that little bump of, mm-hmm. okay, you're still on the right track. Yes, yes. Um, so one of those things for me was I read Gretchen, uh, or no, Gabby Bernstein's yes. The Universe Has Your Back. And I was in Antarctica at the time, which sounds crazy, but I was. <laughs> <It's> um, random. <laughs> <laughs> Casual. Uh, my husband wanted to do all seven continents by the time he turned 40. So that oh was God. seven and I got to go. Um, but... I was reading the book and it asked you to choose like a sign so you could Mm. see that you were on the right path or that you were making the right decisions. And I chose a tiger in the middle of Antarctica. And I was like, if I see tigers, like, and I was contemplating quitting my job and doing like (laughs) my own thing full time. And I got back to the airport in um, Argentina and there was this woman wearing pants that had tigers all over them. And I was like, oh my God. So same God wing yes. thing. And then literally every time I made a decision about going in a certain direction and it still happens, yes. I still see tigers every time I'm questioning that what direction to go. And I'll be like, should I do this? Should I do this? And then I'll see a tiger and I'll be like, yes. That's so cool. So, so you definitely believe in God wings. I definitely yeah. believe yeah. in God wings. Other circumstances, whatever. I think you it's, know. you know. So she kind of came along at the right moment. I was in a, a really dark place. I was trying to do everything I could not to go back to the old me. Like I always say old me knew me. Old me was in my like late twenties, early thirties when I was really, really struggling. And I know what I would have done then. I would have spiraled and gone downhill. Instead, I tried to do some stuff on Instagram and, um, do like a little like mini workout that kind of emulated what I was doing at this previous job, whatever. Long story short, you reached out. I went and met you at your then brick and mortar form studios. And it was such a cool space, but I, and you were so sweet. You were like, if you need a space to do this type of workout, please let me know. And it was just a a vote of confidence from a complete stranger that I was like, okay, I can keep going. Like there's more to me than this past job. And there's actually way more to me than I ever expected. And I was kind of like searching for what to do next and it just felt like the 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 push that I needed to just keep going. So I just want to thank you for that. I don't think I ever did well, thank you for that. That makes me feel so great cuz somebody did that for me yeah. and I always feel like you know, you've just got to give people a chance yeah. for what they need and everyone comes out of bad situations, good yeah. situations needing just a little helping hand occasionally. And I remember somebody sent me an Instagram story that you posted and I was like, wait, I have a studio. Why, why not? Yeah. And I'm just so glad that, I mean, and look where we are now. Look where we are. You're killing it. Like that's, that's, (laughs) that's why we came into each other's lives is for like this moment. And then whatever happens after this, I truly believe it. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Where you grew up? How you ended up in Atlanta? All the good stuff. So I am born and raised in Atlanta. So one of the oh, very are. few who are who's an Atlanta native. Um, but I was born in the suburbs of Atlanta, went to school in the city, uh, went to Florida State for college, and then came back. And right when I came back, I was working for my parents, my sister, was in corporate America and decided to go out on her own. Um, My parents have basically lived the American dream. Mm. I mean, they came over from Ireland, they had two kids, 
promptly had me and then had another a few years later and have built an amazing business. So we always had the drive to be like our parents, to build our own thing and make it special and make it the best. So my sister decided to open an activewear store before activewear was activewear. Uh, so this was before it was athleisure. Before, before it, had its it was own. athleisure. Before it had its own category. Um, this was actually before Lululemon really even had stores. They really? were doing pop-ups, testing markets, and we opened a full brick and mortar of these boutique, independent activewear brands, and it was amazing. Wow, I didn't so, know that. Yeah, that's is it how... still on the market today? So we left retail when I mean retail's just yeah, crazy. Yeah. Um, so we decided to leave retail and even and that's how my studio started was we were looking at ways to bring in like-minded people and I had started teaching bar classes. So I said, "Well, why don't I teach something inside of the store?" And my sister was like, "You can't do bar classes without a bar." <laughs> And I was like, well, actually, I have a degree in exercise science, um, and I think I can. Figure it out. So I made a bar fusion class, and we started doing it, and then it started just selling out every single time. That's so cool. Um, And it was great. We had so much fun. And then Danielle decided she wanted to go a different way. Form was booming at that time, so I opened my studio. So you had a brick and mortar kind of down in like the Peachtree Hills mm-hmm. area. Yes. If I remember correctly. And how long was it open for? So we were in that particular spot for six years. Okay. And we were in our other spot for about 18 months prior to that. Okay. Um, and then COVID came in. <laughs> we made the pivot, went virtual, and I decided that brick and mortar wasn't the way that we needed to be. Yeah. So yeah. Closed the brick and mortar portion of the studio, kept the virtual, which is still so successful and hopefully will grow into retreats and different things like that. Yeah. But I also got this amazing opportunity to create a brand of sports nutrition supplements. And when I looked into it, it was women all the way. Yeah. And I've always been a huge proponent proponent of women sporting women and trying to figure out a way that women could be on top instead of in second place or third place or fourth place all of the time. Sure. So were you an athlete growing up? Yeah. So played soccer my entire life. Also was a competitive Irish dancer, which let's not tell anybody. That's like my little special secret. You did like the Irish jig and the, what's that guy's name? Michael Flatley, Lord of the Dance. Yes, yes, yes. Um, So my sisters and I were nationally ranked, world ranked Irish dancers. So super. Can we get some videos? Absolutely not. That is why I don't tell anyone because everyone asks. And we just passed St. Patrick's Day. So yeah, yeah. So you made it through another year. That's our official holiday. That's hysterical. Um, But yeah, played soccer all the way through high school, state championships, all of that. Went to college. FSU's team was unbelievable so I didn't end up playing at the collegiate level but I played the club level like intramurals and stuff right. yeah um and even FSU's club team traveled nationwide to play against other teams it was like yeah. a secondary yeah. kind of JV type team um and then after college started running half marathons trained for marathons so I've been athletic my entire life um and even with the studio was teaching right tons and tons of classes right. a week right. you're at that elite athlete level when you're doing things like that. I mean, you know. I think that's one thing that a lot of people forget about fitness instructors is like, it's not our job to like specifically look a certain way and, you know, 
teach you a certain thing, but I think a lot of people don't realize how physically demanding it is. And even if you're just, I've taught every different format and modality in some formats, like spin, you know, you're really in it, you're physically doing it. Some you're more like demonstrating and then, you know, taking a second and, but you're still actively there. You're showing up and it is, it's very demanding on our bodies and our psyche. And there's a lot that goes into it versus just like teaching you how to lift weights or teaching you your form, especially in a group class setting, I guess is what I'm getting to. So there's just so much that goes into it. I remember when I was teaching, um, when I first moved to Atlanta, my first job was at Flywheel, rest in peace. Um, but for two years, I was teaching like 15 classes a week. I had no health insurance. I had no benefits. I had vocal nodes. I was paying to go to speech therapy. And it was like, they just, these fitness, these big fitness studios, like they just don't care, or maybe they don't know, or they have to know, but they don't really care like how much these people are physically putting their bodies through. Right. Absolutely. It's a lot. It really is. And we always had a rule at Forum that you couldn't teach a certain number of classes. Yeah. And people would always say, well, you do. And I would say, well, it's my business. Right. So that is me kind of sacrificing my health right. in order to do this. But, you know, you you end up eating and training like an athlete. Yes. You have to. Yeah. Otherwise, and it's really difficult because the fitness industry is so superficial. Yes. And you get this kind of mental twist where you're like, well, I should look like that. Mm -hmm. I should look like this. And you're looking at all these instructors who are almost famous on Instagram and they're going through what they eat in a day. And you're looking at it thinking, how are you surviving when you've only had a green juice and a salad today? Right. Right. I feel like I need to go and eat at a buffet every day (laughs) because I cannot get enough calories into my system. And then it was you know, you'd get a DM on Instagram where people would be like, well, I don't want to come to you because you don't look the way that I want to look. Mm. And I was like, okay, well, we're different people. Right. But then that gets to you and you're like, okay, well, maybe I'm not successful because I don't look a certain way. And then you start adjusting yourself to start looking that certain way. And then all of a sudden you don't have the energy to do any of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big point. I remember when I was at Flywheel, I had somebody say, we really like you because you look normal. And I was like, so you're saying I don't look like all the other instructors who are super cut, super thin. Needless, like, mind you, like I've dealt with anorexia and bulimia for a very long time. Like people say that and I know that they they mean well. It's just like when people say like, I can't believe you're still single. Like I know <laughs> that they're trying to give me an, a compliment. Right. But you never know what someone's going through. But it's a backhanded through. compliment. It really and it's weird because society has made it normal yeah. to say things like that. Oh, oh my God, you look normal. Yeah. Well, what is normal, right. first of all? And secondly, wh- so you think I look normal, not good, right. is what you're saying. Right. Because so that's what you've just said. Yeah. Like, yeah. okay, I, I have thighs that touch. Well, you know what? You probably should. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just everybody's body is completely different. Yes. I look at photos of myself as a child, like two, three years old, and I'm like, my legs are still the same shape. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they're supposed to look like that. Absolutely. And you have to start embracing that. or Otherwise, that industry will eat you alive. Yes. Yes. And I also noticed that the majority of my clients had some kind of 
eating disorder or disordered mm-hmm. thinking when it came to food. Yeah. And oh my God, I was so bad this weekend. I've got to work out. I'm going to do a back to back because I've got to burn off all the calories right. that I ate. And I was like, whoa, whoa, wait, right. right. We got to stop. Yeah. You're yeah. not. Or like body dysmorphia. Like they think they look a certain way. And I'm like, but you actually don't. However, I can't convince you. Right. You're going to see what you see in the mirror. So I, I really, I'm, I'm actually doing a 30 day thing right now. It's not a cleanse. It's not a reset. It's just a, it's more of a mindful way of thinking throughout each day and what you're putting in your body and what you're consuming and what you're doing with your body. And it's like, I want to go to a trainer or a facility where I feel good. Mm -hmm. Can we get away from going to the trainers who look perfect because you're actually going to feel worse about yourself walking in the door and walking out of the door and being like, I still don't look like them. And can we start going to the places and attending people's classes where that instructor makes you laugh, they make you feel good about yourself, they take away, you know, they take your mind away from all the shit you have going on with your family or Mm -hmm. with your kids or whatever it is. Like, why can't we focus on the way that we feel versus the way that we look? I don't know the answer. I don't know why. I mean, it has to be a societal shift. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's it's not going to change until we take the focus off how we look. Right. And instead put it on... Am I doing a great job taking care of myself? Am I doing an awesome job of being a good friend? Am I doing a better job than I did yesterday of cleaning my house? Something as simple as just taking pride in like who you are and the things that you do in your life versus do my jeans fit? Right. Yeah. And I think that's been a huge thing post COVID. Well, we're not post COVID, but as COVID's (laughs) coming to an end, everyone's talking about getting back to their normal selves. I'm like, why can't we just have a new normal? Right, right, absolutely. But I think it starts very young. So Donna and I, when when we originally spoke, um, I always wish that I could like record my first conversations (laughs) with people because they're always so good. But we had some similarities about growing up in an athletic, you know, society Mm -hmm. on – for me, it was a little bit different because I was a swimmer and I swam for a YMCA because my high school did not have a swim team. So I was always co-ed. I was co-ed from the time I was five years old. My parents put me on the swim team. I started swimming when I was three, started competing when I was five. But we talked about the way that women and girls are taught how to treat their bodies at a very, very young age and not just how to treat their bodies, but how society treats women and then we started talking about the women's basketball league and all of the things going on there with uh, wncaa w um (laughs) (laughs) too many many letters so many letters (laughs) so tell me about your experience like the first thing that you can remember playing soccer when you were growing up and how like you just felt different than the boys were being treated so there's a few things because I didn't start playing soccer till I was 12. Okay. So I was late to athletics. I had been dancing for a long time because I was a girl. Right. So girls dance. Sure. So we'd done ballet, tap, jazz, Irish dance, all of that. That was in our wheelhouse. I was told to do music, things mm. like that, because those were the things that girls did. And then my little brother, who is four years younger than me, started playing soccer. And I loved it you did i just went to all of his games i was completely obsessed with the sport 
And he was allowed to start playing when he was, I think he was four. Mm. And he was so talented that they ended up, by the time he was eight, he was playing on an under under 10 or under 11 team because he was so good. Yeah. And I would go to all these games and I was just obsessed. And I kept saying, I want to play. And people just kept saying, well, girls don't play soccer. Really? And I was like, okay, well, if, so 12. Right. 11, 12, I was, do the math, do the math. It was ni- 1998, 1999. Okay, okay. So you're talking, like, Mia Hamm yeah. was in her prime at that point. Um, 1996, the women's soccer team and Atlanta, like, the Atlanta Olympic yes. Games, the women's soccer team, the U.S. women's soccer team won the Olympics. And I was like, this is so cool. Yes. 1999, they won the World Cup. Iconic moments. And I was like, but... But girls do play soccer. I've seen them play soccer. Yeah. They're they're famous for right, it. Right, right. And finally, my parents were like, oh, just let her play. She so, won't stop so talking this, about it. Is this coming more from your parents or like school? Just kind of everybody. Yeah. Um. I mean, there were like kids at school who played. But yeah, my, my parents definitely said like, girls don't play soccer. Mm. Like you're dancing. You're, you're fine. And I was like, well, I want to play soccer. And finally, they gave in. And I played like recreational for a year, totally obsessed. Yeah. And my brother was on a travel team and I was like, I want to, I want to be that good. And it's funny because now looking back at it, I think this is hysterical, but the coach that was assigned to our league, he was actually being punished by the association, the soccer association locally. And they had taken one of his boys' teams from him because he had spoken out against something. And he was he was a very outspoken person. <laughs> and they said, we're going to take this team from you. You're going to have to coach girls. Oh, my gosh. That was his, like, that was his dis- disciplinary action, right? Yeah. Like, ha-ha, you now have to coach little girls. Did this? Did you know that as a player? He told us, I think, when we were in high school because he ended up being our coach for years. Oh. And he was actually somebody who ended up completely changing my mindset about how women were treated in the world. Mm. And funny because, like, it was his punishment. So he broke up all the teams, and he said, I'm only taking the people who are going to try as hard as they can every single day and he said to me you're not the best but I know that you'll be the last man standing at every game and I was like okay so like that immediately ingrained that into my personality like I know that if I work hard that I can get somewhere as we like kept growing up he still had one boys team and he had us and he would put our practices back to back and at the end of their practice and the beginning of ours, he would make us scrimmage them. And we had to play against the boys. And they were older than us. They were bigger than us. And we'd be like, Steve, we just, we can't win. We're not strong enough. Yeah. We're not big enough. And he was like, girls, figure it out. And every single time. And I finally one day was like, I don't understand what I need to do. And he was like, I need you girls to know that you're not girls who play soccer. You're not girl soccer players. You're soccer players. So get out on that field and act like it. And if you act like it, you will step up and you will play just as well as those boys. Hmm. And I was like, okay, okay, like I'm a soccer player. I'm not, I'm not a girl soccer player. And it gave you like this confidence yeah. of 
Well, he believes that I'm that good. Yeah. He believes that I'm an equal with these boys. Sure. And needless to say, we started getting tougher. We started playing more boys. And then he started making us play other boys' teams. He wouldn't allow us to bring anything pink to soccer. So I, my mom bought me a brand new pink soccer ball. He kicked it into the river. <laughs> she was not thrilled. And he was like, no, we won't be doing any of this like girly stuff. Yeah. You're soccer players. That's it. And I was like, what is, I just, I like pink, man. <laughs> but as I grew up, I realized that yeah. that was a huge turning point that someone actually recognized the fact that we weren't just girls doing right, something. Right. We were just as good, right. just as talented, if not sometimes more talented. And we also had to figure out a way to be bigger, better, stronger because yeah, we did have a little bit of a disadvantage. Right. Like just generally in strength. Yeah. Men are going to be stronger than women. Yeah. But it's, it's funny. I think at that age, like guys usually don't, they grow a lot slower than girls do. So and this is really hard for me to say because I've been bigger than every human my entire life. But from what I remember, like the guys really didn't start growing until they were older, like late teens. So I would imagine that age, you're almost equals as far as like height, weight, strength. A little bit. But like I said, they were older than us. So oh, we were so 12, were 13, okay. well, actually at that time, probably 13, 14. Yeah. So you're talking 15, 16 year old sure, boys sure, who sure, were sure. in high school. Yeah. They were lifting weights, yeah. which was also things that girls didn't do mm. my high school had weight training for girls and we were always like oh my god i'm gonna take free period because i don't want to get bulky yeah that's, a, that's like that could be a whole nother podcast yeah so so many <laughs> so we've true. got we've got I limited we time a lot. we have a lot that we can talk about but here. it was just as a child and then my mom signed me up for soccer camp in england and i went to england and my brother was at the same soccer camp and we walked up and the coaches literally said to my mom she can't play. Really? And my mom said, why not? And they said, "This she's a girl. And my mom said, did I not pay the fee? And I remember my mom like sticking up for me and she was like, I paid the fee. She's flown here from America. Yeah. She's doing this. And the head coach who had been, I think he had trained some of the Manchester United players. He walked over and he was like, what's the issue? And my mom was like, they won't let her play because she's a girl. And he was like, just just let her in. It's not a big deal. So did you play with all the boys? Yeah. And were you fine? Like but you they held were, your own? I mean, they refused to pass me. They were uh, like, I'm not playing with you. You're a girl. All that stuff. And then when it came to like lunch and snack time, they actually made me eat in the bathroom because I wasn't allowed to be a part of the main camp. What? Yeah. By myself. So uh, <laughs> not only is this so polarizing that the adults are telling that the girls are over here and the boys are over here but it's also it's teaching the next generation that we are second best mm -hmm. so no wonder the guys that are in their 20s 30s and our age right they look at us differently because that's what they grew up like we can't necessarily blame them like right they should grow up and educate themselves and see a little bit differently sure but you know, we learn so much as kids and what we are taught sticks with us for a really long time unless it's untaught. Right. So it's not like we can sit here and blame people for doing things that they do because that's pretty much what they learned growing up. But it's so polarizing to split ma males and females. Like, yes, there's a time and a place when they should be split in certain things. Right. But when it comes to sports, I don't 
think so. Like, I don't agree with that to a certain, certain extent. My, so growing up, I'm from a really small town in upstate New York and my dad actually started the hockey team in the seventies. And, you know, he helped fundraise, he helped, and hockey's very expensive, like Mm -hmm. very expensive. Hockey and lacrosse, like equipment is very expensive. Ice time is very expensive. And, you know, when I was born in 19, what, 80 something, (laughs) um, he, he kept on coaching and he quit when I started swimming. So I was doing a lot. I was swimming on the weekends. We were traveling a lot. I was very good by the time I was six. Um, so he, he took a step back. I forgot what year and how old I was, but I remember that he was allowed to combine our high school. So I went to Homer and then next door was more of like a city quote unquote called Cortland. And there weren't enough at Cortland or Homer to have a singular team. So he went to these two high schools in the eighties and was like, Hey, I want to bring hockey to this little space in upstate New York. Can we do a combined team? And they Mm -hmm. were like, Yes, absolutely. And it was a, it's still to this day, it's a Cortland Homer hockey team. It's combined. So as I get older, um, Homer, you know, we didn't really have a lot of money. Cortland had a lot more money than we did, but Cortland had a girls high school swim team. And I remember going to my AD and the Cortland AD and petitioning for me to join the high school swim team. Cause I was still swimming for the YMCA, which was right. great, but it was, it was co-ed, it was age group. So we had kids at five years old and 18 years old. And I wanted to, my best friend went to Cortland her name's Carly. And I'm like, I wanted to swim with her. Her dad was a coach. He was all on board. He's like, we would love for you to swim for us. And they wouldn't let me. So here my dad was, <laughs> you know, 30 or now 30 some years ago. But back then he started the hockey team with Cortland and Homer, and they wouldn't let me swim for Cortland because I went to Homer. Right. And I'm like, how is this fair? Like this, it's so incredibly double-sided. It's, it was so unfair. And then when I was 13, 13, 14, 15, I made nationals. So I was going down to Florida and I swam at the hall of fame pool and nationals were a specific week every year in April. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it coincided with our spring break and sometimes it didn't. At this point, I was also a very good softball player. So I was playing softball in junior high. I mean, I played for years younger than that, than junior high and high school. And that's the time that my swimming kind of took off. And I remember there was a year when softball tryouts were the week of my tryouts, or I'm sorry, the week of nationals for swimming. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, if she can't be here, then she can't try out. And my dad's like, are you kidding me? She's literally swimming on a national level against 17, 18 year olds and she's a good softball player. Like you can't make an exception, but the boys, the guys that were down there swimming, they were allowed to come back and try out for baseball (sighs) or lacrosse. It was such a double, like it just, it's such a double standard. And it's sad to know that this stuff is still going on. I think now it's being exposed. I think so too. I mean, we just saw that with, like you said, the NCAA March Madness. I mean, God bless Sedona for just posting her Instagram story, TikToks, and yeah. showing. I mean, it 
That's, it was an abomination. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. A set. Yeah. One set of one weights. One set of weights. Wow. I mean, I have clients that have way better gyms than their gym, right? Yeah. But also, like, how stupid of you as March Madness Association, as NCAA, how stupid are you to think that that wasn't going to get on social media? But I think for the longest time, we've been quiet about it. Right. Because this isn't the first time that this has happened. Sure. I can assure you that it's not the first yeah. time. But now, I think women, girls, are finally to the point where we're like, we're done. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to say something now. And it's not even just saying something anymore. It becomes national news. news right. Because, and you look at uh, Steph Curry right. and the men's players in the NBA being shocked. Yeah. People are shocked when you tell them. Like when I say Particle is the only line of supplements formulated for women on the market right now. The reaction is, what do you mean? Yeah. It's 2021. Right. I'm like, yeah, well, Adidas didn't make a foot form for women's cleats until 2016. Really? Yeah. So we've been playing in men's uniforms, men's shoes, using, I mean, I don't know about you. Sometimes I use men's deodorant for when I'm working out because women's stuff just doesn't work. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know if it's me and I sweat too much, like. Well, but, did you say that growing up, like you had to wear men's shorts or something? Yeah, our high school wouldn't buy girls' uniforms, so we would wear the hand-me-downs from the boys' teams. So they were huge. It just teaches us that we're second best, that we're not as important than Constantly. men. Constantly, and oh, and that was what I didn't understand. P- people kept telling, saying to me, Donna, you just need to be quiet every time I said mm. something, because I said to the athletic director at my high school, "How come we don't get our own uniforms?" And they were like you don't need to worry about it. And I was like, no, the boys got new uniforms this year. Why didn't we? They haven't gone past the first round of playoffs for the past six years. We go to the state championships every single year and we're playing in their hand-me-downs. Why? And I was told, Donna, you need to stop. Really? Stop asking questions. Stop talking about it. But I didn't know that I was wrong because I had a man and my parents stand up for me early on and say right. like you're not a you're not a girl soccer player you're a soccer player right right so you're equal yeah so why was it different and i never understood it and as i got older i kept seeing like all of these huge differences and i was like how come no one's talking about mm. this and now people are talking about it because we've had so many different movements right about equal pay equal rights right me too movement right i mean you look at the women's national soccer team yeah and they keep losing the battle for equal pay so the men get paid to lose by the way (laughs) the the men's soccer team gets paid to lose they get bonuses for games that they win the women don't that's insane and yet, how many times have they won the World Cup? Right. When was the last time the U.S. men's team right? even got to out of the first round? So I guess we get to this point where, like, what's the answer? Right? What's the answer? I think it's there's so many different answers. Right. I think, number one, it's about teaching the next generation. Like, you're equal. You you might have a smaller basketball you might have, like, there's different sizes, right? Softball's right. bigger than a baseball. Like, there are differences. And, yes, an adult male 
typically is stronger than an adult female. Typically. But again, I am a bigger person than most right. of my male friends. I weigh more than most of them. Yeah. You know? So it's like they're still stronger. And yes, there's there is a biological difference. The muscle mass, we could get into all that. You could right. with your exercise, exercise science degree. But for the most part, like, why are we treated so differently? Why are we treated so second class? Why are we treated like a hand-me-down? Why do male coaches speak to us the way that they can speak to us and not be held accountable? I mean, there are horror stories about the things that men say to girls. And again, they think they that they're saying it maybe to inspire us or maybe to light a fire under our ass or whatever, but these men also need to be educated like the the way that they speak to the boys too. It's the same. Right. It's not just women. It's not just girls. I remember when I was 13, whew, my swim coach, he was very old school. He's he's since passed away. Um his name was Dick Williams and he was a dick. Like he <laughs> <laughs> But he was one of the best coaches. I mean, he really knew his stuff. He he really did care. But looking back, um, he didn't know how to speak to us. He would treat us. He he cared, but it wasn't in a, a very loving way. Right. Um, when I was thirteen, he came up to me and pulled me aside, and I, I've never been heavy, but I've always been bigger. I'm right. just bigger boned. I have accepted that. But I remember when I was thirteen. I was kind kind of going through a heavier phase, and you know, there's a lot of changes going on with a You're girl. You're growing. You're you've got to like yeah yeah like you've getting got your period store like, in order to build. Things. And yeah, we all go through those phases. Yeah. I look at pictures of myself when I was 13. I'm like, oh lord. Yeah. But then you look at a picture a month later, and it's like, oh, I grew six inches. Yes, yes, yes. So he came up to me. It was after practice one night, and he said, you know, you can move through the water a lot faster if you had less body to pull. And I was just like, that was the first time I thought about my weight ever at 13. Mm -hmm. And by the time I was 14 going on 15, I really cut back on my calories without even thinking about it. Um, there was a lot of other stuff going on too. So I'm not, uh, this is not all on him, but it was definitely the start of me being hyper aware of my body and that I'd be a lot better and make a lot more people happy if I was thinner. Right. And I became anorexic by the time I was 15. Ugh. And swimming eight miles a day. I mean. And that's the tragic part of it. Yeah. Is it starts so young mm -hmm. and the conversation is never about finding a way to perform at your best at the, the stage that you're at. Sure. Because that's what it should be about. Right. It doesn't matter what you look like. There are plenty of people who, in the beginning, told Serena Williams she was too big to play mm -hmm. tennis. Well, <laughs> look where she is now. Chokes on them. Um, but that was, I mean, that was part of the conversation in the, in yeah. the 90s as that, and early 2000s that the Williams sisters were too big yeah. to be female tennis players. And people questioned if they were actually women and all these different things. But instead of, as a child, learning... Like, okay, we're going to learn how to build our strength so we can pull our body through the water. Right. We're going to learn how to fuel ourselves so we can have more energy to perform better. Right. Not, you know what, 
you're too big. I need you to eat less. I need you to work out more because guess what? That never pans into the best mm-hmm. athlete. No, no, male or, fe- male male or, or female. female. Because there are plenty of men that walking this earth that no one has no idea that are struggling with the same thing absolutely well i was just on instagram and a a video popped up it is one of the world champion uh male bodybuilders and somebody had written him a question and it said if you're so strong why don't you have a six-pack and he laughed and he's a huge dude just huge and he said Six packs do not equal strength. Mm. If you have a six pack, you're not eating enough. Mm. You don't have the fuel for what he to does. gain more muscle, right? And exactly do right. what he does. But it's and and that that like it's still happening yeah. for men too. Like the conversation is never about your your stats or all the. It's how good do you look? Right. That's like remember when this whole thing went around around uh, about Tom Brady and having the dad bod. Right. And like, he was just like, are you kidding me? Do you see how many rings I have? Like, right. screw you people. But you, but men can say, screw you. Right. Or I'm, I'm going to be this right. big. I'm strong. Right. As soon as a woman says that, people are like, no, she's you're a, just fat. Or she's a bitch or she's a, she's a hardcore feminist. Like, yeah. Okay. Well maybe, but what does that matter? There are literally almost no female athletes performing at a hundred percent because Female athletes are dieting in order to fit the yeah. societal views of what they should look like and what their sponsors are looking for for their cover shoots and mm. their product endorsements and all of those things. So what would women's sports actually be like if we started changing the narrative for young girls to eat right. and fuel themselves to where they need to be? Right. Can you imagine? I, I mean, I, want, I wonder if women's sports, people would think they'd be more interesting if if yeah. we, we were actually fueling ourselves. Yeah. And weren't just looking good in, you know, for the role. Like, like how come guy golfers wear pants and, and we wear the skirts and the tennis skirts? And which, you know what? If you want to do it, girlfriend, and you look yeah. cute and you feel cute, do it. But, like, don't do it because you feel like that's what you should do that's or that's told. what you should wear. Yeah. Right? So I'm, I'm so grateful. And, again, I think it comes down to the parents, too, the coaches and the parents. The coaches need to take responsibility. The parents obviously have a huge role in this, and I am, I am so grateful for my parents to this day. Absolutely. Um, my mom was a swimmer, and there was no girls' team, and they did let her swim with the boys. She is a boss. Like she swam in college. Granted, by then it was you know there was a, a, a girls' team, but. In high school, she swam with the boys, and then my dad, my dad growing up, um, he he's such a, uh, just the, I wish I had known him in high school. He seems like the coolest guy, and he truly is such a mentor. These hockey mm-hmm. players will write, like when you get are trying to get into school, you write like a letter about like right. your mentors. And mm-hmm. He gets so many. Uh. It, it's so cool to go back home and like hear parents talk about my dad make me cry because he's like just such a good guy but he never ever treated me differently he was the coach of my softball teams in like first second third grade I played soccer like he never really treated us differently he never really gave me a lot of grace for being a girl right and I'm so grateful for that and then at 13 
He's like, he is the one that took me in the weight room. And he's like, you really should learn how to lift weights. So maybe he recognized that I was a little bit bigger. And instead of telling me, hey, you'd get through the water faster if you were less body. Yeah. He was like, well, you'd be faster if you were stronger. Right. And like, thank God for him. Now looking back, I didn't even think of that until we had this conversation. He was our weightlifting coach yeah. and he taught all of the girls on our team how to lift weights. And there is some, you know, there will be people that say, you know, 13 is too young for a girl to lift weights, but the boys were doing it. Right. Like if you teach them how to do it correctly. Right. There's the proper way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So it comes down to the parents. So my question is, there's this fine line between saying how it is, saying what's going on in our society and our, our culture today, and then playing the victim. Right. Because if we continue to be poor me, poor women, poor girls that get treated like this, it almost makes it worse. Almost. But at what point do we have to say things over and over? It's like nag- right. nagging your, your husband because right. you asked him to take the trash out two yeah. days ago, but it's still in the trash can. <laughs> and, then, and then you make a point of just setting stuff on top of the trash can and then you leave it there. And then at some point he says, what's going on? I'm laughing because if you don't follow Donna on Instagram, you really have to because she's fucking hysterical. I do post a lot of stuff. And I'm pretty sure she's talking about a personal experience. I I rag on my husband a lot, but only because I love him so much and he is is just a doll. But but that's the thing. Yeah. Those boxes that you're stacking on top that end up annoying people, it's just you proving your point over and over again. Right. Right. So yeah, it's annoying. But every time... Someone says to me, well, you know, the women's team shouldn't get as as much, um, as many weights because they don't bring in the money. Mm. Okay, well, how about I take everything that it makes your job easy to do and take it away from you? Mm-hmm. All of the contacts that you have, mm-hmm. the publicity that you might get, and then say to you, okay. Good luck. Be, yeah. I need you to prove yourself. Mm. Now... Um, we're gonna we're gonna stream your games on, not even on TV. They're gonna be online, right? But try to find a sponsor that'll give you millions of dollars for that. Right. And um, we're not gonna give you the same training rooms. We're gonna give you one one set of weights. But continue to train the way you should yeah. to be an elite athlete with right. these ten pound weights. Yeah. Um. Oh, the 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 guys have steak and shrimp mm. and brown rice for for dinner to fuel with the proteins and the simple carbs and complex carbs that they need and you got a styrofoam box with some kind of fried food slopped in gravy but you're supposed to perform at your best when we're giving you nothing to work from yeah so it's the same thing like yeah we're complaining about it yeah absolutely but is it woe is me when yeah the levels are so different right you're right. asking and giving the men the option to perform at elite levels and then you're telling the women this is what you get now figure out how to perform your best right figure it out right it's 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 but really... i think we both had people early on that taught us a different mindset correct and then we had other people who told us other things mm. that led to eating disorders, different mm-hmm. things like that, disordered thinking, because 
I had to learn a lot when I got into teaching workout classes and you know, a lot of people rely on personal trainers and such to give you diet advice as mm-hmm. well, but that's not what they're trained to do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of personal trainers take it upon themselves to give diet advice, which is also where a lot of the yeah. misinformation comes from. Yeah. It's uneducated people yep. telling you things that they've heard. It actually says it in, I don't know what your certification is, but I'm NASM CPT Same. certified. Mm-hmm. And it says in there, you are not a nutritionist. Right. So I know like... I do a lot of stuff on Instagram and right now leading this thing, I literally like full disclosure, this is what works for my body. Right. I know what foods work for me. I also know my sensitivities. I know so much about my body because I've done a lot of work, but I will always be the first to say like, I'm not a nutritionist. Like right. these are the foods that I also enjoy. So if you don't like those, don't eat them just because you think you're going to maybe look like this person or that person. Mm-hmm. Like you have to, you really have to be responsible for yourself. A hundred percent. Everyone has to educate themselves. Mm-hmm. We live in a world where information is free. Yeah. If you want to find something out, you can go to Google and find medical journals. Right. Exercise science research. You can read about these yeah. things. It's not easy. No. But once I realized with the studio that I had a responsibility to be educated on this. I got my NASM CPT certification. I then turned that into a health coaching certification from NASM Mm -hmm. because I didn't have the nutrition background. My degree was in biology with uh, with exercise science. I did that specifically at the time I wanted to go to med school and do orthopedic surgery. That was my route. And then realized (laughs) med school, I didn't like school. That was really it. I just didn't like school. Um, And got into all these things and looking back at the way that I treated my body when I was training, I mean, I would eat something really small for lunch in high school, even though we had 5 a.m. workouts for weightlifting, followed by sprints, a whole day of school, and then practice after. Right. But I was also told that I needed to be the tiniest version of myself in order for the boys to like me. Mm -hmm. So I would have little to nothing at lunch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In my mind, it wasn't an eating disorder. Mm Mm-hmm. But it was. Yep. And luckily, I didn't have too much trauma from that and was able to turn it around. But, you know, you you go to college, you gave, gain five pounds, somebody mentions it. Right, right. You lose five pounds and you don't. And that's what I really learned with the studio was to never compliment or say anything about someone's physical appearance. Yeah, yeah. Because I learned more often than not when someone lost weight, it wasn't in a healthy way. Mm. And when you reinforce the fact that they looked great, yeah, you reinforce that yep. bad habit, whether it was they were going through something really stressful at home and the anxiety was causing them to not eat and lose weight. They were actually a recovering, like recovering from an eating disorder and they had relapsed. Yeah. And somebody, girl, you look great. What have yeah. you been doing? Wow. Oh, um, awkward laugh yeah so it was more when people came in and they were like oh I'm so tired I was like well what'd you eat today yeah did you eat enough did are you getting enough sleep right are you focusing on your health how what are your work hours right and when people started to realize that people cared more about them as a person sure their whole health like mental health is a huge portion of all of this 100 percent 
you cannot be the best mom, the best friend, the best daughter, the best anything without taking care of yourself. I always say that your physical body, it's not, it means nothing Mm -mm. without your mental health. No. Like you can be walking around this earth and be a size, you know, two, whatever you think is the perfect size and be the epitome of the vision that you think a male wants or a female wants to be. Mm -hmm. And you can be the most unhappy person in the world and it is a waste of a life. Oh, let me tell you, I've run the gamut of sizes. Yeah. (laughs) I've run the gamut of sizes from a zero to a six. Currently, I'm 12, 14. Yeah. And I've never been happier than when I was just living my life. Right. And doing the things that I wanted to do instead of constantly trying to figure out how I could look better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're always, when we get to that goal weight, then there's another goal. And oh. when we get to that, there's another goal. Like it's, you're never satisfied if you're never satisfied. Right. And, and that's the thing. Just... You get there and you learn that it wasn't about the weight. Right. There's something in your in your psyche. There's something inside of you that hasn't been fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And until you figure out what that is. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I lived in LA, I was, um, I think I was 29 at the time and I had a photo shoot and I had a couple weeks and this is like, this was in my depths of my bulimia. Mm-hmm. And I remember up waking up that morning, I stepped on the scale and I literally hit the exact number that I was like, I want to be, I want to weigh this when I go in for that shoot. And it was, you know, I was in a bathing suit, whatever. Um, I felt really good all day long, like really good, like really like happy and proud. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I only made this weight because I've been binging and purging. Like it was like I cheated. Right. I didn't do it the right way. Right. And then I just felt guilty. And then it spun me into Mm -hmm. doing it again that night. So I felt good for maybe a good eight hours, felt really good on top of the world. And then I felt worse about myself going home that night and the cycle continues. Right. And I would rather be, you know, I'm a good 15, 20, 20, let's face it, 20 pounds heavier than I was then. And I am 10 times more happy now, 10 years older. Right. And again, it goes back to our girls and the way that we raise them and the way that we speak to them and the images that they see. And until we all decide to make this shift, I'm afraid not a lot's going to change. I think slowly but surely it is changing. And the more that it's brought to the forefront, the more that not only we can change, but our parents can change. Sure. I mean, look at my my parents or my dad really was like, girls don't play soccer. Mm. And then give him a year later and he was bragging to everybody he oh. knew. You should come to one of Donna's games. You should see her play. Right, right. And anytime somebody said she plays soccer, he was like, "Hell yeah, he yeah, what? yeah." That's so cool. And so it it only takes like one experience for people to see the difference and to change their mind. And I think a lot of that also hinges on the male community, mm-hmm. like saying, "Like, dude, that's not okay." Yeah. Or, you know what? Let me learn what I should say to my daughter. Yes. 
even yes. and and us as women because we we say it about ourselves and children hear it. Correct. Like my niece is turning three, and she hears everything. Mm-hmm. That little girl. You say one thing, it is in her head. She's going to repeat it somewhere. And they're so smart. They're so smart. Yeah. And, you know, I said something the other day. Oh, I can't wear that. I don't look good in skirts. Mm. And do you know what that little girl said to me? She goes, Donna, you look beautiful. And it was that reminder that I needed that she just heard me say that about myself. Right. Right. And it's so ingrained in us as a generation. I mean, we grew up. The, the look was heroin chic. Yeah. Which literally you had to do heroin yeah. to look like that. Like that's that's a scary thing to teach a bunch of teenage girls. Yep. And now we have to, as parents, aunts, just general coaches. Sure. That what you say out loud goes into those little girls' heads. Yeah. When you say that, oh, I look terrible today. I didn't put any makeup on. Yeah. Well, what does that say? Yeah that I have to put makeup on in order to look good. Right. It's all coming down to the things that we say to ourselves. And I think if we can change the way we talk to ourselves first, it's going to make a world of difference. But actively thinking every time we talk to a friend, a child, even in a restaurant when there's someone nearby, everything Mm -hmm. that you say is overheard by someone and can change their mindset Mm -hmm. in a good or bad way. Right, right. And I would also love to see the men in our lives step up. And if that means them asking us, what do we do in this situation? How do we say this? Or what, like, if if you don't know as a man, ask a female, Mm -hmm. ask somebody that you know is leading by example, right? Ask somebody that seems help. Like I'm a big believer in energy and when people come in, to my physical space, I feel for the most part, I feel whether they're struggling with something, I feel I feel like I know if there's something going on or whether they're content with themselves or whether they're feeling joy and happiness. And if like a guy feels awkward, I feel that from oh, them. Yeah. And if if um if there is a male coach in your girl's life, go to the practice. Be around, see what's going on. Ask your kids. Yeah. Ask your kid about the coach. Like, ask them what's going on. What do they say to you? How do they encourage you? Right? Because this isn't like a male bashing thing. Like, men are great coaches and they should be, just, right. just as women should be able to coach men's sports or men's teams. But something as simple as know how it affects your girls right. when they're on their period. Right, right. Like, and if you're not, prepared and you're not mature enough as an as a male adult to talk about that then you shouldn't be coaching 13 year olds right I mean just learn they why aren't you playing as well today right I have cramps well okay let's figure out a way to to make you feel better yeah or let's take it down a notch today and try and figure out a way to play through it yeah again it comes down to education and that's for everybody right I mean, there's plenty of women who don't know about their own bodies, who can't talk intelligently about what happens during a menstrual cycle or how long it is or when they're ovulating. Our bodies are literally in transformation every day. All the time. Every day. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I'll, I'll rag on my husband and one of his friends for just a second. It was 
during quarantine last year, there was a TikTok that went viral. It uh-huh. was a girl asking her boyfriend, how do, how do women use pads? <laughs> Something that simple, which, and he was like, you, like, you take it out. And she like showed him one and he was like, and then you just like stick it to yourself like a bandaid. <laughs> And How did I miss this TikTok? I, I don't know. It was so funny. And I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, surely not all men. So we ended up <laughs> having drinks with a friend. Um, and I asked the two men, and they both, number one, God forbid you mention so a menstrual right. menstrual cycle right. or a period around, around dudes. And these guys are in their 40s. And I was like, how do you, how do you use a pad? And they were like, just deer in headlights, like and you could white, see yeah. them sweating. And I was like, something that simple, and and you you're gonna call me a bitch when I'm on my period when you have no idea what's happening, right. let alone how I deal with it. Right. But then, like, you're talking grown men dealing with girls in sports, yeah, even high school teachers. Like, right. you've, you've got to know what's going on. You've got to be able, not understand it, but just hear it, listen sure. to it, and have a response. And it can't be, well, suck it up. Right. Right. Like, that's that's not the answer. Yeah. Yeah. And this goes, you know, this, this goes both ways with, like, little boys. This is a whole different topic, but you don't tell a little kid, a little boy when they're crying to suck it up and not be a baby and don't be a pussy and don't right. be a bitch because now you're teaching him that women are second best mm-hmm. and you're also it's it's a whole demask demask what is it called uh what's the term uh, male emasculation or something there's a whole term for this oh, i don't know so i'm gonna have to research that. yes education so basically <laughs> you know it's like just be aware of what you say to anybody right and not that we have to censor but like just be a intelligent human being and that what you say affects the way someone feels right especially when you're talking about the physical sense Mm -hmm. and if you're not prepared to talk about it then you're not mature enough to lead a group of people Mm -hmm. um and i think that's kind of like for adults that's what they need to hear but then also we as adults have to make sure that we are treating ourselves a way that we want our kids to grow up and treat themselves. Right. And if we're not going to take responsibility for our own own happiness and our own emotions, your kids are going to learn that. Mm-hmm. Your kids are going to learn everything they do from you. And yes, from school. But if all the kids going to school are learning from parents that are taking responsibility at home, right? then they're going to learn the things that they should at school. Right. But ultimately, like, they're It sponges. starts with each and every one of us yeah. just making a conscious effort. Yeah, yeah. And changing little things every day yeah I mean I'm I'm not the picture of health I struggle with it daily and I think everyone does but once you start to see that it's not you Mm -hmm. it's these weird constructs that have been built around us that we're trying to fit ourselves into when I mean you can't put a square peg in a round hole like you just yeah and I think as you get into your mid thirties, early forties, mm-hmm. you start to realize that fuck it. Yeah. Like I'm just going to be me. Yes. I mean, like you said on Instagram, I'm like ridiculous. I never have any makeup on. I'm just like in there in my pajamas. Hysterical. 
drinking wine yeah. and then I'm just trying to remind everyone don't take life so seriously it's, and be yourself like, and from that you will be happier and healthier and that's just the starting point I always say the most freeing point of my life is when I sat back looked in the mirror and was like not one person in this world can say something about me I haven't already thought. That's powerful. And it was like that moment that I was like, game over. Like, let's fucking roll. This is where you belong in the world. This is your story. And like, I literally, I've thought the worst, like there's nothing worse that you could think about yourself than thinking you are better off dead. There's okay. nothing else. And I've been there for so long and I just, we have to empower people to get to that point where they can say, I don't care what you say about me. I know who I am. I know what I'm good at. I know I'm still gonna make mistakes. And if you wanna call me out for that, sure. But at the end of the day, when I put my head down on that pillow, I like myself. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That is the goal of this life. It's too fucking short. We get our panties in the lot about too many things that really don't matter. And we stress about all this stuff that is external. And what you should really focus on is you internal. Mm -hmm. So to wrap this up, what do you, Donna, what do you do when you're not feeling your best mentally? What are some things that you do to help? When I'm not feeling my best mentally, honestly, the first thing I do is I take a nap. Mm, okay. Because for me, a lot of my bad mental talk comes from when I get tired. Yep. And one thing that I am working on is trying not to overextend myself quite as much as I typically do. Mm -hmm. um, but that's part of my kind of mental health journey is yeah. getting to the point where I'm comfortable saying no, setting yeah. boundaries. Yes. Luxurious thought, yep. setting boundaries. But for first, I try to take a nap because I do think that it helps me take my mind away from whatever the problem is or the thought is or the unhealthy habit is. Sure. I'm able to reset, wake up, and kind of start over again. Yeah. And I always find that I'm in a better place. Yeah. Just taking that rest. I love that. Um, And then from there, I'd love to say that I go and like talk about it, mm -hmm. but I'm not, I'm not there yet. I'm not one of those people who okay. likes to go and immediately open up. So that's something that I personally am trying to work on, yeah. but I just try to take some time for myself after that and recalibrate where I need to be and figure out what the next step is. Because so you if reflect, I, you spend some time right. reflecting. Reflect and, and make a plan. Yeah. And then from there I can decide whether I need to go and approach someone for help. Mm -hmm. Learn something in order to fix my problem or kind of just figure out what the next step is. Yeah, yeah. So that, that is where I try to regain my strength. I like to ask everyone that question because the whole purpose of this podcast is yes, to share stories, but um, so that people know that they're not alone in this and that you could go through something and, and not have to be in that space forever. But also to give people real like tangible mm -hmm. advice or tangible, not even advice, but just examples of what works. Because right. just like the physical fitness and physical space, 
what works for one person to train their body doesn't work for this person. Absolutely. So same thing with the mental health. What works for me might not work for somebody listening, but you, you know, so I want to, I want everyone to be able to take bits and pieces from each show and try different things and, and do different things to see what works for them. It's so, so true because people talk about journaling yes. or therapy yes. or different things. And I'm like, I've tried it all. Yeah. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And I'm like, well, I feel better when I take a nap. There you go. And it's something as stupidly simple as just going and just laying, laying down. down. <laughs> yes, I love that. But it really does. It resets you back to a place where your mind has calmed down. Yeah. And I just yeah. think we get so overloaded all sure. the time that we have to. And for some people, that's putting their thoughts on paper or talking right. about it. But for me, it's... Turn off. I, yeah. I'm yeah. a total introvert. Like... It's something that I just have to do to get my energy back into good places for and me. That's what it's about. So learn learn what works for you. Exactly. Educate yourself and, and experiment and try different things. And eventually, eventually you'll figure out what's best for you physically and mentally. Yeah. So in the meantime, you have to follow Donna. So give us your handle. <laughs> okay. You can follow me personally at Yoga in Heels. Uh, long story behind that okay. Instagram handle. Um, and then you can find our new supplement line at Particle Products, P-R-T-C-L Products um, on Instagram, Twitter, all the all the things. All the things. And then yep. what about Form Studios? Where's your virtual platform? So you can go to formstudios.com, F-O-R-M-E Studios, and all the virtual stuff is up there. Um, and it's, it's a good community where we just don't take exercise too seriously. There you go. A lot of times it's just me dying on camera. <laughs> telling you guys to keep going <laughs> a little comic relief if you will. lots of comic relief I'm typically like tripping over myself and doing a lot of ridiculous things so well this was so fun I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and bringing up kind of a new topic this is great I mean I'm just excited to like chat with you and get back yes. like hanging out with you yes. and we'll do it again I'm glad you came <laughs> thanks Donna thanks Thank you for listening to this episode of the Six Feet Above podcast. I'm your host, Megan Armstrong. Subscribe so you never miss another episode as a new episode is released every Tuesday. And if you're enjoying the series, please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Follow the show on Instagram at Six Feet Above Podcast to keep the conversation going and feel free to reach out to me directly at Megstagram11. This episode is a product of Audiographies, produced by Megan Armstrong and Denor Sapolia, edited by Jacob Smolian, and the music is by Keenan Willis, funded by yours truly. I'll see you next time.